0: Just go to indeed.com/slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and it's been way too long since I had my buddy Chris Welsh on, but I've been saving him for an Arizona Fall League
2: episode and that's exactly what we got in store for you today. Uh Chris how you doing? What is up James? The only sad thing about this show is that I didn't get to see you in person a week ago last week. That's the only sad thing that we're not doing this after just spending time and you know drinking the beverages and watching the prospects together.
1: Yeah man I it's uh it's always a bummer when I can't make it out there, but uh seemed like there was a pretty good contingent from the fantasy baseball world out there this past weekend. Um, you know, man, it just I think we're kind of living in a new reality with the AFL where, you know, we're going to have to be excited about guys who are sort of, you know, fringe top 15, fringe top 25 type of prospects, uh, the days of the best of the best, being out there uh to be over at least you know the best of the best might go out there before they're the best of the best um last yeah. year's uh lowest ops in the afl was jason dominguez so uh we still have um some pretty uh exciting prospects out there but they <laughs> they may not perform that way um but you know I, I don't know did you have any thoughts about just this this year maybe just kind of this being sort of the new normal. I know we kind of touched
2: on it a little bit last year. Yeah, I think this is the new normal, unfortunately. I actually had a lot of people. I, a couple of people I don't think were, plenty of people, I mean, I'm like attuned to the AFL specifically. Guys like you and I are tuned to like just the prospect world. But people that are maybe fringe on both sides were kind of like, hey man, you know, this kind of seems like a little bit lower of an AFL than normal. And I was like, yeah, it definitely is. It's not... It's not the one that you and I have been doing for eight plus or however many years. And uh, I I think my interpretation of that, as I've mentioned, is like that has to do with the new minor league pay agreement with being paid year round. Um, I think that probably changed a few things where guys, you know, I, I think with how teams can incentivize working in camps and stuff and making their money. A player could not want to go and then still make whatever extra cash would be done via uh camps. And I think before there was a financial I don't think a huge, but some type of financial incentive um to come out here. The thing that I think I was taken back on is I always felt like the Arizona Fall League was the finishing school. Like it was like, like I don't want to say it's still not, but there was like this honor to come because what this was was this is to represent to your team that you are ready and that they would consider you, especially considering 30, 35 plus players from last year's Arizona Fall League made the major leagues. It just might be development as a whole. It's just not as needed. And maybe major league clubs even kind of said like, you know, hey, you don't have to come here for it to you know, be a be all end all. The Arizona Fall League might be more about players that teams are not sure of players that miss time rule five, which it always was, by the way. But I think it might be more about that than it is like this is the last step before the guy gets to the majors. And uh, I I actually asked Carson Williams about that. I was not what you're saying, but I was just kind of like, hey, man, you know, you're you were at least uh, Baseball Americas. You were their top prospect coming out here. And that's coming off of, you know, the Acunas and the Vlads, and he said he was very honored and stuff like that. But that's also, in in our kind of world, it's a realization of, you know, we definitely didn't get the high end. I shot way too high in my predictions of thinking we would get the Jackson Holidays or the Cheerios or maybe even the Wyatt Lankford. And those guys are kind of seemingly being saved for the beginning of next year and kind of saving. I think teams might be saving some of those bullets for the start of next year instead of uh, building up innings in the AFL. But, yeah, it's kind of a new norm. It definitely is.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, at least you get to see those guys, uh, at least the ones who have spring training out in Arizona. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we've got, we've got guys who are going to reach the big leagues in 2024 who put on a show this year in the AFL, both on the hitting and the pitching side. So there's definitely a lot to unpack still, uh, yeah. even if we're not getting the the Langfords on the holidays out there. Uh, to me, you know, I, I'm sure there's a wide-ranging opinions about sort of who the best players out there were. I want to start with the hitters. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the pitchers. But uh, I thought the two best hitters from just a um, fantasy standpoint were both Cleveland Guardians hitters, Kyle Manzardo, Chase Delauder. Uh You know, Manzardo, I think, has a real chance of being the Guardians opening day designated hitter or at least kind of switching between designated hitter and first baseman with Josh Naylor. And then Chase DeLauter, I mean, you look at that that Guardian's depth chart, pretty easy to see how he could be an everyday player for them uh, sooner than later. So what were your thoughts? You know, I know you got to, you were out there the whole time. You weren't just out there for first pitch. Um, what were your thoughts on Manzardo and DeLauder? Getting to see those guys plenty up close yeah. and
2: personal. Yeah, and I get to talk with Manzardo actually this weekend too. Did like a twenty-minute uh interview with him. Uh, <laughs> I tried to get him to to like. Be, I'm like, eh, what's your goals for next year? Maybe like you know, first baseman for the Guardians. And he he's a pro. He didn't want to like unrelent uh, unrelent anything. But I thought he was really calm, cool, and collected out here. um I had heard him say like, you know, the sit. And I even talked to him about it. The like. Sitting and then playing and sitting and playing it really screws with your rhythm and this is something he had kind of said to someone I know that um, It's hard whether you're struggling or you're doing really well to grab your rhythm out here in the AFL and he had said something really interesting about how um, In the minors this year where he was They I guess didn't have the ABS system and the zones were really low so he just wasn't he just didn't even worry about the upper part of the zones. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because out here I've noticed he loves the ball low. We actually also asked him about the home run derby, and he said he wanted it kind of low inside or low, you know, lower in the zone than you normally would because he's a low ball hitter. And I've noticed when I've had people compare like Mervis and him, like Mervis couldn't hit low pitches really. Manzardo loves it there, but I noticed he was getting attacked in the upper parts of the zone. And he confirmed, he's like, yeah, that's just something we weren't, I didn't even worry about in the minors this year because of, and because uh, of the systems. And now you have the automatic balls and strikes out here and you have the zone challenges and he's getting attacked more and he was working on it here. All of this is to say is like, I think he's just a super professional hitter. And some people walked out of the AFL not loving him as much. I do. I think there's pure, easy, raw power. I think he's a better hitter than what we ever saw with Mervis. I think he's a better defender. And he's we've seen multiple sides of a 300 plus hitter down to a 230 injured guy who was just trying to get at bats this past year. I still love him. Performance didn't mean much to me. And getting to talk to him about his understanding of what he was working on here kind of tells a bigger story because at the end of the day, the numbers aren't going to look great. Like he's hitting 238, I think. Uh, he did hit a bunch of homers, hit the biggest homer I've ever seen uh, in Peoria out here. Uh, I still love him. I actually think, if anything, it improved my thought process of the major leaguer that he is, um, regardless of like the results. And kind of the same thing with Chase DeLauder from day one, really was like in the first two or three days, I determined, like, oh, I think this is this might be long-term the best player here. He's the most pro-ready body. A lot of people make ado about like his swing, but he walked more than he struck out here. He's stealing bases, he's got insane raw power that go with the just physical attributes. He's probably of all the hitters I've seen, he has the best eye for the zone. Like he has the best eye for the pitches when they're coming in. Now, you know, execution. that's a whole nother ball game. He missed time. I think these guys are really exhausted as well, but he had the best in my mind, best representation of pitch recognition of any player here to go along with power and speed. So it's like, though the result, though these guys aren't going to win MVP, um, they're uh, another teammate on them on their team is the guy that could and may win MVP over both of those guys. But I think those are my two favorite players coming out of here um, that didn't have the results that you guys would care about. But if you watch them day in and day out, you're like, Oh, this, these are major leaguers. These are major leaguers that can help your fantasy team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really care about batting average in the AFL. It's just not a big enough sample, but you know, Manzardo with the five homers um, 20 strikeouts and 94 plate appearances, maybe a little higher than I would have liked to seen from him, just given the the profile we're talking about.
2: But I bet you like 60 plus percent of those were in that upper zone that he was working yeah. on because pitchers were kind of attacking that upper inside zone, which he was very aware of. And that was it. That was one of those things because I totally agree, like a little, little few strikeouts that you don't want to see. But like, I think he's very aware of what is being worked on and where guys are attacking him.
1: Yeah. And then I, mean, I, I totally agree about the um, very trendy MVP pick coming into the AFL. I thought just from like an upside standpoint, um, if you wanted to kind of find a position player who was ready for the challenge and has a chance to be a top 10 fantasy prospect, uh, in the near future, I think the is the guy, uh, just looks the part to me, doesn't, doesn't really look phased um by any of the pitching he's he's run into yet. And you know, I think the big question with him is just kind of how quickly do they expedite him to the big leagues. Uh, you know, Will Brennan's a fine player, um Miles Straw is what he is, Stephen Kwan is what he is. They don't they don't have guys that hit for impact in that outfield though. And uh, you know, Chase Delauder uh probably not going to be in his power prime until you know two three years from now but uh it's easy to look at that depth chart and be like when are they going to actually deploy some outfielders that can
2: challenge for 20 plus homers it's interesting you say that because like that team like it feels like they've got that type it's like all they do is draft shortstops, and then they just got all these just like i mean obviously i'm i'm uh Making everybody into one thing—they're not all the same. Jose Ramirez is awesome, and Josh Naylor hit the ball crazy hard. But it feels like there's this very specific type. And then you look at like this big hulking Chase DeLauter and Kyle Manzardo, and they feel kind of different. Even though DeLauter is a more walk than strikeout type of guy, they feel a little bit different than that. What the mold of what we've seen with the Guardians, and I look at those two, and I'm just like, man, they would be awesome to have there now with that mold of player, those on basey speedy type of guys. You would love to see some power hitters because these are middle-of-the-order type of guys. I can absolutely foresee a future very soon where it's a 3-4 from DeLauder to Manzardo. Or maybe it's, you know uh Ramirez Delauder to Manzardo. Like that that would make a whole lot of sense. And I think it would be a crazy improvement for that team, which, you know, we may we may see it this year. I, like you said, I don't know about DeLauder, but Manzardo we will. I'd love to see Delauder sooner rather than later.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial.
1: In at least one draft so far on the double check at one one third shares of delauder so um, one third but, okay but like these are 50 round draft and hold so um basically taking delauder as the last outfielder i'm taking in the draft and hold just kind of hoping that he's up in august or something like that july yeah
2: And Uh, I don't know about you. One thing I did do now, this is a little bit different from, um, and he did get the double a. So I said this at first pitch, I was like, the minute a guy is at double a, I feel like their phone, it has an Insta dial to the majors. Like now where that used to be not necessarily a guarantee. Um, from a this year perspective, Commandzardo will be up. I don't know where you sit with this, but I have Delauder over Manzardo long term, just because of from a fantasy perspective. Um, I have them very close, but I do have Delauder over Manzardo. I don't know if you're different. Uh I got I've got Manzardo a couple spots ahead.
1: Um so we probably just, just because, have them flipped. Because of the proximity. Um, but I do think if I were in a deep rebuild and didn't really care at all about production this year, production in 2025, I would definitely take DeLauder over Manzardo. Um, So it just kind of depends how much I care about um, production in the short term. Uh, But I actually do have Brian Ramos over Colson Montgomery in the White Sox system. Um, I did not have that pre AFL. I had them about five spots apart, but uh, I just think Ramos to me is, I, I see kind of a more, I honestly see a higher floor and a higher ceiling with Ramos than I do Montgomery. Um, Those are probably number three and four, depending on the order you have them Uh, just in terms of fantasy prospects uh, who are out there for me, at least Uh, I don't know what you thought about the the two White Sox hitters.
2: Yeah. I actually went down to Glendale for a tiny bit last night and I actually talked to Ramos before. And I was like, we got any more walk off homers tonight. And uh, the biggest smile I've ever seen a player give me, he was like, I, it was just very funny because it's like the very dog days, and he had this very big, like, ah, it's just cool that people are paying attention type of moment. And he loved that. And he, it is striking how hard he hits the ball. And it's just all the time. One of the tough things when you see them in person, Colson Montgomery is far more physically imposing. Like he looks the part. It's so, it's not lazy at all, but it's like that. I wish we had a different comp to do than the Corey Seager thing. We just always do the same Corey Seager thing, but it makes sense. You know, it's kind of that same physical thing. Brian Ramos isn't as big. Um, You know what it kind of gives me? It kind of gives me like Cattell Marte-ish vibes. That's almost where the body kind of is. And I think the presentation of Brian Ramos feels maybe bigger overall. I think when you're saying the floor, I think you could be right about that. I think that why that is, is because of strikeouts like Colson Montgomery. I assume, and I've had a couple people agree with me on this. Chris blessing agreed with me on this. I think Colson Montgomery is just here to free swing. I think he's here to just try to get the ball aggressively every single time. And I think the strikeouts are a little bit bigger than we would want, but I feel that's part of this game. Um, but it could be wrong. I would take Colson Montgomery as a whole, but You know, Ramos is floor-ish because he's just not striking out at the same level. One weird thing, he only has six total extra bases here. He's at two doubles, no triples. Uh, he does have the four homers. That was kind of an oddity because he's the type of guy, like I said, like it's a there's almost like a Cattell Marte-ish vibe I get with him where he could move around and he could even move to the outfield. So, um, I don't know, in a vacuum, I would take Colson Montgomery because I think the the power numbers are really elite, and I think he will stay in the middle infield. I do think there's a chance Ramos could move around but um, yeah, I think that maybe there's a little bit more safety with Brian Ramos long-term. Neither one of these guys run. I would love for one of them to like be more aggressively running, especially here in the AFL. Like this is the most stolen bases I've ever seen ever. The rules are obviously playing a toll in it and neither one of those guys have a stolen base out here. So to me, that's, you don't read a whole bunch into a lot of this stuff, but that is very telling in a league where um, someone might break the stolen base record that neither one of these guys have stolen bases. So you are battling uh maybe a little bit more batting average Brian Ramos. I think there could be a little bit more counting middle of the order stats with Colson Montgomery down the line.
1: Did you so you I I've been hearing that Ramos's defense at third base is great. Um you did you do you not think that or is it just oh the- just how many guys they have.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm just guys they have. If, if it came across like he's not playing good defense, why he wouldn't play third base. That's not the, that's not the case at all. I think he's played fine defense. Um, there's only been a few guys, you know, we've had years prior where there's been some really standout bad defenders. I remember last year, Colt Keith stunk at third base, and I think he's back there and he was working on it. He was not a good third baseman last year. We haven't had a lot of those guys, not a ton of those. Brian Ramos has played great. There's a great arm. Um, I'm just saying like, there might even be a, uh, if they wanted to play him off, I'm not sure if it's like gold gloves, superior third base. I think he has the physical attributes is more what I meant to move around if they wanted to do so. I don't know why they would. They're continuously vying for, you know, that left side of the now, especially with Tim Anderson gone, you know, whether it's second and third Moncada had moved around like Brian Ramos kind of fits that mold for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, Moncada, it seems pretty clear. This is his last year there. Uh, I think he's a, Reagent after the season. Um, they might even or they have a club option for 2025. I, I could even see them trading him this offseason, but um, I you know, I think Ramos at third, Montgomery at short, that seems like a pretty obvious uh left side of the infield of the future. Uh Ramos had a, a higher hard hit rate this year than than Montgomery. Um, and obviously played in more games. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, like with the with the Guardians guys, to me, I think you could flip those guys. I, I'm going to have them really close to each other. Um, Sterling Thompson is probably the guy that I would say, just in terms of where I had him ranked coming in and how he performed, I think he's probably the fifth best uh, hitting prospect for me uh, that was out there. Um, I don't know if you uh are that high on him but like the guy just has hit everywhere he's gone some of those places including the afl have been extremely hitter friendly environments so you got to keep that in mind but uh what would you make of sterling thompson getting to see him a bunch up close
2: yeah i love sterling thompson i was during one of the live pods i was asked like who were a couple of the standouts and i only did like three or four players delauder was one and sterling was the other because he is one of those guys, and in, in year in and year out in the AFL, you'll go to games, and they'll just be guys that are always hitting. Every single day you go, maybe this guy is doing something. I remember Geraldo Perdomo was one of those guys. It wasn't good impact, but it's every day there was a single. Sterling Thompson, every time I see him, he's getting on base, and it's hard hit stuff. He had nine extra total, uh, nine extra base hits in the AFL, no homers, but at least two that were just Miss Homers. I probably have them on my timeline if people want to check my Twitter um, because I've seen a ton of them. I love, love the at-bats. The bat is always in the zone. Uh, he's a really, really easy approach. He ended up leading, or at this moment, he's leading the Salt River team in OPS. I think he's tied for the best average with Benny Montgomery. He's walked a decent amount. He's stolen a bunch of bases. I mean, he has been a high-impact player, um, I think I think Sterling Thompson can be like a two seventy plus hitter pretty easy, and you know the 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 almost homers kind of remind me of back in like complex where I used to watch history Ruiz, Esturri uh, Ruiz. When he was with the Royal or the, with the Padres, uh, this was no, when he was with the uh, the Royals at the time. In complex, he would just hit these balls that would just. Smack against a wall And he just registered I think he was one of the leaders In doubles at that time This is obviously a different case But it's the same kind of thing I see with Sterling Thompson It's hit hard And I think he ended up having One of the better average EVs We had stat cast data Only at Salt River games out here And only the first three weeks Which kind of stunk Salt River No more home games after week three And those are the only places You could get stat cast data And uh, he was lighting up I think he was like around He might have put up like 108 max, but his average EVs were really sitting high up there. I love the guy. And he played, he did weekly positional stuff. So he played second base for one week and then he went out to the outfield for another. And then he went back on the infield and then back out on the outfield for the other. And I actually asked him about it and he said he loved it. He had no issue moving around positionally, which helps for the Rockies to get him up sooner. And I think this is a high upside. I think this is an upside bat. I don't think this is like a util bat. I think this is a uh, top of the order. I kind of feel like a number two hitter really suits him well, who's going to steal some bases. Maybe it's going to be lower power, and maybe it's not going to be insanely big fantasy impact, but I could see him as a 10 or 15 homer, 20-plus stolen base guy scoring a bunch of runs. So, yes. um, in If I were to give you like a top five of you changed my mind and you improved your ranks in the AFL, Sterling Thompson would be on that top five list.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, he didn't really change my view too much. Um, I I don't think he's going to steal many bases. Like I know he's been stealing bases. I just think that's the Rockies and the AFL. And um, you know, I obviously wasn't seeing him in person like you were, but I, you know, any stolen base output, to me would be gravy with, with Sterling Thompson. Um, it's more just kind of, can he develop like a plus plus hit tool or maybe just a plus hit tool that plays as a plus plus hit tool with cores. And I then
2: that right there.
1: Yeah. And and then it's like, you know, he, he just, he's going to get enough mistakes that he can get his way to, to, I think he could be a 20 homer guy. Um, Possibility. peak. And uh, so probably hit over power with him. We'll see about the the steals, but he also, you know, he was playing a ton of third base this year. Uh, I, you know, the AFL, you know, they only, they, you don't get to just play whatever position you, you want to play necessarily. Um, I'm guessing they told him like, you're going to be playing some outfield, but he was a, he was a corner outfielder at Florida. One of the best hit tools from the college ranks in that 2022 class. So, Uh, We'll see where the Rockies find room for him, but... uh...
2: They had a weird outfield, by the way, of like A.J. Vukovic in center field and like Sterling Thompson in left field. Like what a what an odd outfield that they were able to work with. And then just a, you know, a mix of guys like Jace Bowen in the outfield and stuff like that. But a a lot of Salt River did a lot more uh, roster uh, experimentation. But Ivan Melendez played a lot of the third base. So, yeah, just to your point, you'll get guys that don't get to come out here and sometimes even play primary positions. They'll play a multitude of other spots.
1: So we, we've touched on Manzardo and DeLauder from the Guardians, Ramos and Montgomery from the White Sox, Thompson from the Rockies. Uh, there were six other hitters that I had either in my top 100 before the AFL or just outside my top 100. Um, Carson Williams, who you mentioned, Victor Scott. Uh, Carson Williams, shortstop with the Rays. Victor Scott, outfielder with the Cardinals. Uh Abimelech Ortiz, uh first baseman slash DH with the Rangers, Tyler Locklear, corner infielder with the Mariners, and then Kevin Alcantara, uh, Alfield with the Cubs, Jace Young, infielder with the Tigers. Uh, I had those six guys either in my top one hundred or just outside my top one hundred before the AFL. I felt like Scott Ortiz and Locklear did exactly what they're supposed to do. Um You know, just given where Ortiz and Lockley are going to play defensively, they had to hit. They were old enough to have success there. So I think those guys did exactly what they're supposed to do. I think Victor Scott did exactly what he was supposed to do just as like an older speedster. Those guys are always going to have success in the AFL. Um, Carson Williams and Alcantara, I had lower expectations for just given their age, and they kind of wound up sort of hitting those low expectations from a statistical standpoint. And then Jace Young... I thought of those six guys was the big disappointment to me because really no excuse for him to not get to more power than he did, uh, just given his age, environment, um, defensive, lack of defensive um, utility, etc. So I kind of gave you a lot there, um, but did anything jump out with, with those six guys?
2: Yeah. So I, I interviewed two of these guys, so I, I've got a player's edition pod coming out. If people want to hear uh, I talked with Victor Scott and Carson Williams of this group and kind of, I guess from the tippy top of the list, Victor Scott of this group, I was the most impressed with. Um, I had serious questions about the power and so I don't know, sometimes those video game type of numbers, they can kind of stand out as anomalies. Uh, he is, such a smart guy. Um, I think that bat is, conti- he said something really interesting where sometimes I've talked to players and teams have just had very hands-off approach with a player. I remember talking to Curtis Mead after Curtis Mead's like big breakout. And I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, what did the Rays do? And he was just like, nothing. He's like, nothing. He <laughs> didn't even have him do anything. I was like, Oh, Victor Scott had said that he had done a lot of like the you know the blast work uh, that the Cardinals wanted him to do early on. They gave him all the tools. They said these are the things you want to work on, and now it was up to him. And that is what he's been doing over the last uh, twelve months. And you've kind of see the implementation. You've also seen him taking a little bit more of a, of a power approach, and he talked a lot about that. So I guess for me to turn and, you know, credit to you for having him as high. I didn't have him right at the 100 range. I firmly have him inside of that now because he proved um, just consistent contact. His speed is the game changer. Like he is a weak contact, get on base guy, easy. He's a bunt guy, easy, but he was lifting the ball and he ended up having three homers here. He ended up on this. You take the AFL in the regular season. I told him this and his eyes kind of expanded because we talked about uh, him and Chandler Simpson, who they ended up tying the stolen base lead, which a a stolen base got taken away from Victor. And he didn't know why, by the way, because he had the lead when the season ended, but he got one taken away like 10 days later. Him and Chandler are good buddies, but I was telling him the thing that was a difference was the power. And if you combine everything, he stole almost 110 bases in 2023, which is crazy and double digit homers, which is great. So I think there is some power potential. And uh, I think Chris Clegg said it this weekend very well, that like this, could be the S Ruiz that we like really wanted. You know, there there could be, I think there's higher batting average. I think there's as many stolen bases, his talk of how he steals and the approach is so advanced. So I loved Victor Scott a lot. Tyler Locklear. I agree. Did what he had to do. Uh, I actually thought Kevin O'Conchar kind of did what he had to do. You had lower expectations. Um, I heard lots of stuff that he was tired. He was very tired. I don't think his head was in it, but you saw some of the, you saw the insane skills um, on display. Avamelech Ortiz. I don't think you're, you're wrong. Um, I guess my difference with him was I was, I was just kind of thoroughly unimpressed with him being able to take advantage of anything like when someone made a mistake yesterday, he hit two homers. I very uh, seldom saw him do anything, much of anything whatsoever. Just free swings, guys getting him with breaking pitches, guy pitch, guys pitching him up high. People weren't making mistakes and he wasn't doing anything with them. So I don't know. They, you want to be very careful about how you adjust anybody and AFL stuff. But I just didn't see like an approach, a swing, vision, anything like that that I, was, I fell in love with. I saw a guy that positionally played okay outfield, probably as a DH that is pure power. So I just wasn't in love, even though the numbers were monstrous. And then um, I agree with you on Carson Williams and Jace Young. You know, I, I did talk to Carson and, very unfazed by his performance here. He did even acknowledge that the AFL is kind of kicking his butt, which I think is pretty slick, but um, I thought he was kind of slow to react. He's very upright. Him and Robert Hassel had this very similar upright late approach. Uh, He was kind of an up the middle singles hitter. We didn't see any power on display. We didn't get to see aggressive um, stolen base numbers. Just everybody always chirps me about Carson Williams. And I think he's a, a good athlete and a good, prospect but i just don't view him as a top like 20 guy and then i completely agree with jace young i just don't i don't love the yeah he like 20 homers this year i just don't love the bat there was no power output out here whatsoever also might have just been kind of blah he might not have wanted to be here um i didn't see insanely aggressive approaches but um again i thought victor exceeded expectations in my mind tyler was where i thought Ortiz was a little bit lower um Alcantara was where I thought but I thought Ortiz Young and Carson Williams on your list were kind of the guys that um were a little bit lower than my expectations coming in
1: yeah that's interesting about Ortiz because he has like the best numbers oh in
2: video games stupid numbers
1: and more walks and strikeouts but that's a good tidbit that uh you did not I mean the pitching there is really bad so it's not got even worse and, too and if you if you have good numbers in the afl like you know go go look at any of the recent leaderboards like it, it's like a 20 percent hit rate basically on yeah if a if a guy is good is he actually good i mean you've got like a 20 percent chance of, of him actually being good yeah. like just based on him being good in the afl so um you know jace young to that point no excuse for jace young to not do well out there um attitude aside it's just you're you're there to hit like that's why you got drafted that's how you're gonna get to the big leagues and the afl is a place where people go to hit and he didn't hit and he doesn't really have a good excuse in my mind so um he probably hurt his i mean we'll get to some other guys who hurt their stock uh, in a more significant way but just among guys that i think are are rostered in most dynasty leagues, i think jc young hurt his stock the most among the hitters. And I didn't e.
2: love him coming in. I didn't mean to interrupt. I didn't love him coming in because the, the goofy thing with like, I actually think like Ortiz and him are kind of similar. Like, I guess I'm sounding really negative about Ortiz. Ortiz has done most of his damage as of recent. He didn't play a ton. To, I mean, he does have three homers in 11 games, which is kind of impressive. And he's hitting over 300, but it's all been very recent. So it's hard to be consistent. But I didn't have Jay's young really high coming into the AFL. And I, I think Abby and him are kind of in the same general range and if you wanted to say like who has maybe the better potential for power it it might be Ortiz and Ortiz has you know come on kind of strong when these guys are the most tired so there's an argument pretty easy argument to say you could still rather have Ortiz and young but I guess I don't signify young is backtracking so much because I think I was just kind of so disinterested coming in even though you know statistically it was a pretty good year but yeah I'm, I'm with you on all this.
1: Yeah, I mean I my interest in Young. Young is a is a bell curve. I mean, not that I ever had him really high, but I, I was low on him coming into the year. I thought he had a very impressive 2023 uh season in, in affiliated ball. And then he had a terrible AFL just from my standpoint. Got a hit for power if you Jace Young there. And so now I'm probably back to having him more as sort of a uh Definitely not top 100, but probably not top 150 anymore. And then, uh, I mean, with, with Victor Scott, I think he is uh, – He the thing I liked about him heading into the AFL is he, he does try to pull the ball. Um, he's not a slash and dash guy necessarily, although that, it, that will be a part of his game at times. And then it's just a question of like this – This Cardinals depth chart is always just incredibly crowded. He does have kind of a classic uh, fourth outfielder type of profile if you wanted to go that way with a really juiced up outfield top three guys. Like if he were just kind of the defensive replacement, pinch runner, occasional start guy, you could see how a team might go in that direction. So my only question with Victor Scott is just like, are they going to have room for him in the near future? Um, just given how many guys they have, but what they don't really have is a clear, um, you know, a clear center fielder that is going to go out there and really um, add a bunch of value with his glove, who can also handle things at the plate. Um, so that that's kind of his his entrance point is just extremely good defense and maybe they, they slot him in and uh trade Tyler O'Neill or Tyler O'Neill just gets phased out or something but um yeah I, I love what Victor Scott brings to the table from a, a five by five roto standpoint. Um so we'll we'll see what happens with the Cardinals this offseason if they move anyone or or what but um yeah and then Carson Williams yeah I I I think he's just kind of he is He's good at uh, a lot of things. He's gonna hit for a pretty low average, and that's just what it is.
2: Yeah. He said uh, a funny thing. Um, uh, Frank Sanford had asked him about Junior Caminero, and he was like, "Oh, you know, Junior's the best player that he, best hitter that he's ever played with." And then there was like a follow up question, and Carson was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I called Junior for offensive tips, and he calls me for defensive tips." And I think that like there's a pride on that defensive side that. Yeah also shows a lot of the still offensive uptick that's in the future for Carson Williams. And it's, it's a, it's a younger guy that has some ways to go, uh, to develop offensively to get those tools that everybody's like, well, this is what you want in fantasy. You want a guy that can go 25, 25. And it's like, yeah, I just don't know if he can ever tap into that. Strikeouts are going to be a problem for probably quite some time. Yeah.
1: I think he, I think he eventually is going to be kind of like Willie Adamas for fantasy. Um, I could see that. That's a good, yeah. Because the, glo- the glove is going to, he's going to have a, he's going to have a long run as a big league shortstop because of the Agreed. glove. Um, so that, now let's get to some breakouts. Uh, I had both these guys ranked heading into the AFL, uh, but I barely had James Triantos ranked and I didn't have Marcy or Jacob Marcy outfielder with the Padres did not have him in my top 200. Did not have James Triantos, uh, infielder with the Cubs, played some outfield in the AFL. Did not have Triantos in my top 300. Um, But they, as you've said on your podcast, uh, Prospect One, uh, Marcy and Triantos probably vying for AFL MVP. Um, I was more surprised by what Triantos did, um, largely because of the age gap between him and Marcy. I think Triantos was probably one of the youngest hitters there. Marcy was age appropriate for the AFL. Um, and I just had Marcy ranked so much higher. Uh, Marcy's the type of guy with his command of the strike zone. I expected him to be good in the AFL. I didn't expect him to be this good. Triantos would have been on one of my picks to really kind of not do much among guys with bigger names, just going back to his draft pedigree. Uh, but Triantos was was excellent. And uh, definitely don't want to overreact to these – Uh, small samples and you got to factor in the hitting friendly environment the poor pitching etc but talk to me about marcy and triantos and then particularly with triantos you know how real like him hitting three homers in the afl to me is that counts as like a power breakout for james Triantos?
2: yeah so um i agree with the one of the things you said there of like you you want to be careful, especially for like buzzy breakout guys. But I will tell you, I am in on both of these guys. I think these guys both belong as top 100 players. You know, Marcy specifically, I talked a lot about him over this last weekend because he does a lot of everything. Um, lefty, I think three of his five homers I've seen in person have come off of lefties. He actually hit one off at Daniel. Lynch. Daniel Lynch did this weird with the Royals. Did this weird thing where he like showed up one day and he just pitched one game and then he was gone. It was completely weird. And Marcy cranked the homer off of him early on. Uh, he hit two homers. I'm trying to remember who it was off of, but they were two lefty homers at the same time. And he's uh we, we found out like he can be an aggressive pull guy. Um, I think it was Matt Thompson ended up pulling some numbers we saw in the minors where we had some low right field walls that we saw Marcy do some really heavy pull numbers against. And when he moved up, you saw that kind of disappear. What that also did, in my mind, was showed what type of a smart hitter this guy is. Because the other thing you've seen him do is he's got all field contact. He can push it the other way, line drives, pull power, aggressive hitting that has wielded an almost 400 batting average out here in the AFL. And he has consistently done it. He's got an impressive baseball body he runs crazy aggressive. He is let off. It has Lars Newt bar vibes from the year before where I remember in the AFL, Lars Newt bar was or two years ago where Lars Newt bar was like leading off every day. And you're just like, Oh, this guy's kind of like a leadoff hitter. Marcy's got the same thing because Marcy, I think it was, I think he hit 250 in high A last year against lefties or 270. So he can hit lefties. He doesn't have a split problem. A lot was made this weekend about Evan Carter and how Evan Carter had, like, I think Blessing did it, one extra base hit all the year with minor leagues and everything involved against lefties. Marcy is not a lefty split guy and he makes really good contact. I don't know if the EV numbers are super hard, but uh, he showed pull power. I I love Jacob Marcy. I came in liking Graham Pauly over Marcy, and I think Marcy might be the more complete player and plays a little bit harder for fantasy. So I think he's a top 100 player because I really, really do love those contact numbers. And again, 14 stolen bases, 18 walks. He struck out a bit here. 395 average, leads the AFL in OPS. And he has a mind-boggling 17, 17 extra base hits out here. 17 extra base hits because he leads in doubles. He's got 11 doubles. So it's absurd. I really like Marcy. Triantos, I got to interview and talk to, and he is fascinating because I agree with you. The power numbers seem concerning. And I just heard con- concerning things coming in overall, but. And he's a quiet kind of humble guy who's very competitive. And I asked him this thing. He did this interview with foul territory where he likened his game to Luis rise. And I had him kind of explain. Cause I was like, that's kind of polarizing, especially in fantasy. Like you want to be like Luis rise. I said, so expand on that. And you can hear this in the interview. And I'm like, obviously you're talking about contact. And he said this, and he said, when I'm on my game, And I'm getting the, I'm paraphrasing. It's like when I'm doing the right things and I'm getting the bat in the zone, I feel that I can not be beat. No pitcher can beat me. And this is from a very quiet, I think some people could take maybe lax confidence type of player. The most confident thing I've heard in the AFL that he's like, I feel that. Nobody can beat me. And he's done that out here. The power has been on display. The EV numbers, I don't think are fantastic, but he has been hitting consistently. He's stolen some bases. He's put up double digit extra base hits out here. He's hitting over 400 every single day. He is, um, he's getting a hit. And I've got, uh, I've got at least one homer. It might be two on my timeline that you can see that it's like, it's a it's a little i don't think he'll ever be luis ariz he's not going to hit 400 in the majors but you know he also just has some of that pure raw power that is going to generate i think double digit homers now it might be 10 to 15 but this guy, he might be a 15, 15 guy with a hundred runs. And maybe if he's hitting in the middle of an order, maybe a hundred RBI. I mean, you don't know where it could go. It could go the way of a Marcus Simeon into the near future, or it could just kind of taper down into high batting average with uh decent counting stats across the board. But I think he's established himself as a high batting average player that, there's still a little bit to be seen on which way the power and the stolen base numbers are going to go. But I mean, he's stole a bunch of the minors. I just thought like, this is a super confident kid that has changed his development. And he talked a lot about, you know, his approach and how he's trying to hit out here in the AFL and he hasn't stopped. So give him extra credit for that. Where a lot of these guys are like, Hey, numbers don't matter. I actually asked him that like so many guys are like, Oh, numbers don't matter. And I was like, well, you're destroying it. Numbers matter. And he, you know, to a degree, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I want to be successful. I want to beat these guys. I, you know, I, he, I think he wants to be the MVP out here and you love that type of competitiveness. So yeah, I, I'm in on Triantos. I think he's a top 100 guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be harder for, it's going to be harder to see exactly how Triantos fits into the clubs or the Cubs picture than it is with Marcy, because Marcy, Uh, plays for a team in the Padres whose um, starting center fielders hit below the Mendoza line in back-to-back seasons, um, which is tough to pull off, but Trent Grisham's done it. So um, (laughs) I would think that Marcy gets a shot in center field for them um, possibly as early as as this summer. Uh, I agree. Whereas Triantos, I think he gets a, a full year or more Uh, of minor league development still after this awesome showing.
2: I'd also say, I think there's a possibility that just a slight possibility that maybe what Triantos is doing is displaying high trade value for another team. I'm not saying that would happen or would he want that to be? I just think it's a possibility of what the Cubs are doing. If you were looking at what are the pieces that they want to move, I kind of bet they don't want to move Alcantara now. And maybe Triantos is going to be doing this for another team. And this was kind of the, big display for everybody. And also the general manager meetings are here this final week too. So, you know, even more eyes that get on these players that maybe Triantos can get to the major sooner rather than later. And it's just not with the Cubs. Huh? So you think, you think they'd rather trade Triantos than Alcantara? I do. I I do from the things I've heard here and there. I mean, Alcantara, he is, um, he's a star. And I know there's some like, you know, there's some stuff. There's some stuff out here. <laughs> he gets he gets kind of emotional and there's lots of bat flips. And, you know, he's actually a I've, I've, weird thing. I've never seen a player lose their bat in the middle of a swing than I've ever seen in one season than Kevin Alcantara does. But I think physical tools like... He is a plus across the board on so many fronts that there was a time I thought that they would trade him. I now don't think they would trade him. And I think it would be a guy like Triantos that they would uh, move first, even after this performance. Well, I would, I'd probably
1: trade both of them, but uh, I that's you know, on the table. He, he might carry himself like a star, but um, yeah, he <laughs> I know he, where you're going, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'd almost rather someone that's accomplished what he's accomplished to not carry themselves like quite a superstar just yet. Um, Yeah. He has barely been to double a. So, uh, but yeah, I would, I'd move both of them. If I were the Cubs, I mean, they've just got an awesome young core.
2: Uh, And they might, if a good pitcher is available, I think they might move both of those guys. I think it's a possibility, but I think Triantos leads the way.
1: So let's talk about the pitchers. We will get to some other hitters if we got time, but uh, we're, we're, Pushing it here, uh, Jackson Job, Ricky Tiedemann, obviously the the two top pitchers out there. Uh, they didn't stay out there for very long. Uh, any anything revelatory with with Job or Tiedemann? Job obviously with the Tigers. Tiedemann with the Jays. Um, yeah, I think with Tiedemann, it's just durability. With Job, it's just stay healthy before you get to the big leagues. Like I don't really have any concerns with them beyond just please stay healthy. But uh, what about you?
2: Yeah. A um, couple things. Uh, I'm now Job over Tiedemann and I was not, I was team Tiedemann forever. I still love Ricky Tiedemann. Um, anybody that's heard this apologies. Uh, we didn't even talk about it here because they're not, they're around at first pitch, but you know, like I put out that tweet about Tiedemann and the uh, release point in you know, some Lance Brozdowski was like, this is definitely a catch, but he was less worried about it than maybe some. But I noted that, you know, Tiedemann, um, at least I could, and and, and you get snotty people out there that say this, when I'm like, I could pause a video before he releases and tell you what pitch is coming every single time, right at the release point. And someone's like, oh, okay, well, the players pause it. It's like, okay, well, guess what? That's an advantage point. Yes, I can pause the video and see it, but players are going to, it's a tipping point. And what I'm talking about is you would have like in the video, like up here would be the release point for a fastball. And then there was a seven inch degree down to here for when he threw his changeup or breaking pitch. And every single time he did it out here that also accompanied lower VLO. Like he was sitting 91, 92, the entire time he was out here. I speculate. and I was literally going to talk to him the day before he left the day after he left, I didn't know he was leaving and he was gone. I was going to talk to him that week. Um, I speculate that it might have been a, maybe about managing the arm thing, why the velos were down a little bit. But there's a tiny bit of worry about the, the big pitch difference. At the same time, he was like unhittable while he was out here. It was crazy. His changeup was absurd. It was so ridiculous. He could throw it in any count. And one of the things I loved about him, and this was something I noted Um, on my Patreon was like Tiedemann, I thought could pitch backwards at all times. You wouldn't know what was coming. He could go slider. He could go change up fastball. Fastball wasn't great, but it still popped on guys where Jackson job, I thought was way more predictable, but he had a better arsenal and more powerful stuff on Job's side. He was, uh, working on a cutter out here. So he was adding a third pitch in and he was, he had Tiedemann had more command issues, uh, Job's stuff looked a little bit more electric, and he looked like more of a strikeout guy. The cutter was a work in development, but even though he was more predictable, I felt like that was such an easy fix for a guy like Job to to fix your pitch mix and be able to pitch, pitch backwards with those big spin numbers than it was for Tiedemann to like, what do we do about getting the velo back up on the fastball. And what do we do about what I view as major tipping, which was similar to Bryce Miller in the same arm uh, release points that you have. So it's like, I was like looking at Tiedemann and it's like, okay, well you got to figure out how to tunnel pitches better and there's arm issues and the velo is down. So I'm now team Jackson job. And I, and I know there was a piece out Keith law had kind of after seeing him in the AFL, kind of affirmedly had said, like, Tiedemann's going to be a reliever, like a high-end reliever. And I think that's on the table. I'm less dismissive. I kind of don't want to say he's going to be a reliever because at the same time, through all those struggles, he's still giving people fits like crazy but i have more worries about tatum after kind of seeing it all in person than i did job i thought job was cool calm and collected added a pitch got it to work uh he was just you know like i said more predictable in um how he was pitching so he did get hit up like and when you knew a fastball count was coming he was throwing a fastball and guys did hit him hard in that and that's just a young pitcher needing to work on um work on their mix
1: yeah i'm definitely a job over tatum as well um 91 92 that's good to know i actually was looking for that the other day um
2: he touched 95 occasionally but the command wasn't there it was like 92 consistently it was crazy yeah Yeah, i mean i i honestly don't
1: think uh like i might go Job over tiedemann just for uh draft and holds for 2024 um job job is like he's five or he's i think he's got four fewer start. he only made the one start at double a i think but uh he just reminds me a lot of uh andrew painter um a season ago Uh, he didn't have quite the run at double a that painter had just from a amount of start standpoint um so i wouldn't expect him to win a job in camp but i think we could get to like middle of march and job's draft and hold adp is rising maybe he's even getting drafted in some fab leagues just because how good he looks in the spring um but yeah i mean tiedemann there's a lot of like i i i would uh you know he could end up a reliever but there's there's a lot of you know, a lot of just stuff there.
2: Um, yeah. There's, the possibility is there. Like I would never be dismissive to say that's not going to happen. Cause of course, but I'm also on the other side where I'm not going to be like, well, that's the outcome. I don't think no. that, I think they're going to try every step they can, even if it takes longer than anyone wants for him to be a starter, because he's got the makeup for it. He can go deeper into games. Like I said, when you can, he can throw his changeup at will. That's awesome. But when you go through the checklist, I was just like, Okay, like here's the the tipping of your release point and your fastball is kind of down and you have an arm injury and the lack of it. Like I just kept like checking off points that are concerning while acknowledging he's still dominating hitters out here. He still looked like one of the best pitchers while he was out here and guys weren't picking it up. Um, That's something, you know, to consider into the whole scope of it. But, yeah, I mean, Job he was flat in his first game. He showed improvement into the next one. You saw the spin numbers get better. He commanded it better. You know, there's command issues with Tiedemann. It was just really fascinating to see those two. And then I got to see three of four Tiedemann starts. And I think two of four Job starts and their last start in the AFL was against each other, which was a really fun one to end up watching of those two battling it out. And, and actually Tiedemann looked a little bit better, um, if I'm remembering uh, correctly. But um, yeah, it was a disappointment that they had to get out of there because they were the two most polarizing guys here. So two guys that I thought would have
1: a very strong showing in the AFL, um, who didn't quite, or two Cardinals pitching prospects, uh, Takoa Robey, uh, who they traded for from the Rangers, and then Cooper Jerpy, uh, just numbers-wise, didn't seem like either of them really got cooking out there uh what did you see from roby and jerpy
2: yeah well i asked jerpy um early on i was just like is there anything to the not starting out here and he's like nope he's just just innings management they wanted him to get out here and throw there wasn't anything to be read into um you know, into him pitching at a relief or anything like that. But I don't know. I thought, I thought Jerpy looked good. He, it's a deceptive release point. He's doing something that he doesn't normally do. You know, so again, he has seven, um, seven games pitched and he has eight innings. So I mean, this is a guy that is used to going further into innings. So this is a little different scope, but he ended up striking out uh, 14 whip was a little bit higher and like you said with tokoa roby uh i did actually have a little bit higher expectations of tokoa roby he has some of the better pure stuff but neither one of those guys got it going i'm not worried about Tacoa roby really i think there's new team management and the cardinals definitely seem to be a little bit more hands-on than some other orgs in the early phases um i would be like I, I guess I'm just median on both of those guys. I, I, if anything, I might look at Jerpy as a buy opportunity if people are like, oh, it wasn't a great FL and he was pitching in relief and maybe he's gonna be a reliever. I think it's a I think good command numbers, uh look better than Roby and a really deceptive arm angle with three you know solid pitches. I, I still like both of them.
1: Yeah, Roby, uh just given the amount of durability stuff there with him, would have been nice to see him kind of pull a Mason Miller this year and just Dominate because you know, if you're not going to give me durability or dominance in a situation like this, um, it's you know, it's tough to kind of fall in love. But, um, yeah, I thought Davis Daniel, I thought he, he kind of, he's someone you've talked about on your show. Uh, his numbers look good. He's going to have an opportunity with the Angels, uh, Darius Vines, uh, obviously already got an opportunity with Atlanta. Um, those guys basically. League ready depth starters. Uh, what you, do you think about Daniel and Vines?
2: Vines is all right. I saw one decent start. Uh, he's been getting kind of blown up out here, leaving a lot of stuff in the zone. Davis Daniel's interesting. Davis Daniel gives me very, um, if you remember Zach Thompson, who was out here, vibes. He came out here, he like dominated and he was starting and then he ended up being a reliever. I wanted to say because we've seen like really good numbers out of Davis Daniel out here. He's got a sub two ERA, twenty five strikeouts, which is tied for the most on the Scottsdale team. A sub one WHIP, which is not easy to do out here. Uh, It really it came a lot from that curveball. He's got this devastatingly sick curveball, which was like mid seventies, which he just pops in the zone, and these guys don't know what the hell to do with that. Like, and you kind of see that in the AFL when someone's got like an absurdly odd pitch. You're going to have a really tough time for these guys catching on. Plus, this is a guy that had some major league experience. Uh, He kind of pumps the zone. It's not overwhelming stuff. I think he was hitting like 90, 91 on the fastball. I think he's at best like a fifth starter, but he might be a reliever piece. I am very interested in him, and he'd be someone I would look at in like draft and holds um, into the deeper rounds, just simply because opportunity is there. And he does have a great out pitch in that curveball. I, I very much, I liked him more than Vines. Yeah. Yeah. I think that,
1: uh, that makes sense. I agree about the, the draft and holds. I mean, who knows how many wins the angels are going to have this year, but I would assume Davis Daniel gets uh double digit starts probably if he stays. Yeah. Helping. Why not? Uh, what about Wilmer Flores with the tigers?
2: Uh, it's been fine. <laughs> like he's on. there's no I don't have anything great to report yeah. um, on Wilmer Flores. He's been pitching out of relief. And to be honest with you, I kind of look and I think maybe he might be a reliever. They do these piggyback days out here where like same teams they'll have all their guys go. So like Wilmer Flores is piggybacking on Jackson Job. Uh, I think it's very average. Wilmer Flores. This is his second stint out here in the AFL. He was here a couple years ago. So um, it's been it it looks more reliever than it does like fifth starter. So I've been uh,
1: dreaming of the uh, possibility of Emiliano Teodo with the Rangers possibly being a closer um, in the middle of this decade. Uh, looked like he was was pretty unhittable out there in the AFL. Um, what do you think about Teodo? And then I guess DJ Hers another uh, guy that I've kind of had pegged as a reliever, Jake Eater. Another one of those guys, Eater had a rough showing. Looked like hers and Teodo did okay.
2: Yeah, so I'll work backwards real quick. Eater hasn't been great, uh, just a lot of stuff left in the zone. It reminds me very much of like how Quinn Priester was, where you'd have this inning that was really good and then you just get demolished by leaving stuff in the zone. Not impressed with Eater, though I know he's just still trying to find himself and get healthy. So just keep him lower. Uh, DJ hers is funny. The funny thing every game that he came out, probably now because the weather's changed he would have a different Jersey on uh, he's wearing someone else's Jersey and he'd walk around. I can recognize him because he's a pale blonde kid, uh, not a lot of others look like him. And someone finally asked him and he just said, he's like, I sweat a lot. So he would wear his teammates that weren't playing jerseys uh, out here in the AFL in warmups. And he just sweat the hell out of him and then get in there. And then he'd get in there and he would just start striking everybody out. He was tied with Davis, uh, Daniel, and strikeouts. Had a three ERA. Uh, wasn't walking a ton. The whip does look a little bit higher. Uh, I have had Owen Casey tell me a long time ago he was one of the best Cubs pitchers. I think DJ Hertz could be a fifth starter. I really do. Um, Teodo was my big talk for this weekend. Saw him hit 102 on the gun leading up to the Fall Stars game, and then absolutely just commanded an 85-mile-an-hour slider, which I'm assuming that's what everybody confirmed. It was a slider. I talked to James Triantos. I brought him up, and Triantos like got back in his seat uncomfortable when I brought up Teodo because he had said he faced him in the ACL, and he was terrified of the guy. And the guy added a sinker, so he's I guess he's apparently sinking it now. 99 to 102, he sits on the fastball. He's got command issues because I think he walked two in the fall in the Fall Stars game and hit a batter, uh, but he also strikes out like crazy. We cited leading to the Fall Stars game, very small sample size, but you know his uh, his slider had like a 136 stuff plus and a 117 location plus of only a couple pitches. His fastball is dominant. I don't think he has a command to be a starter. I think he has all the stuff in the world to be a closer as I would have last year told you, if I was betting on a prospect to be a future closer, it would be Abner Uribe. I would bet on Emiliano Teodo to be a future fantasy closer that if that's what you're into and like trying to make that bet, I would bet on him for sure.
1: Oh, that's, that's what we're into around here. Uh, we're definitely, (laughs) we're definitely into trying to find minor league relievers who can get saves. Um, so exciting to hear that about Teodo. Um, Interesting. I mean, DJ hers let me make sure I'm not uh, misremembering how bad his command numbers were. Um, yeah. I mean, DJ hers his best walk rate above is he's been at double a several stops at double a, his best walk rate at double a was
2: 13.6%
1: um, at double a for the nationals before he got, or um,
2: after he got traded. Um, there's a big yeah. Nationals development conversation that can be had about all those type of guys when you're betting on any of them for sure, especially these pitching prospects. Yeah, so uh, we'll see. I guess I mean, look, the
1: Nationals are going to have uh, no shortage of uh, spots in that rotation up for grabs in the coming years, so uh, I'm sure he'll get a he'll get a shot as a starter before.
2: I mean, I'd say this, like that Scottsdale team, probably the most impressive collection of pitchers because you had Davis Daniel. You also had Thad Ward who made the majors. We talked about Takoa Roby. You have uh, Cooper Jerpy. I mean, so you have a lot of pitchers, um, which you don't normally have. I would still, at uh, Will Bednar, I would put hers above Ward, but below uh, Ro- uh, Roby Jerpy and probably Davis Daniel as well.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um... So we're before I get to your sort of fringe, super fringe prospects uh, question, and and some guys who who stunk it up. Um, the other hitters that I had in my top four hundred um, who seemed like they did okay: Eric Brown with the Brewers. Dicenzo with the uh, Astros, Gabriel Rincones uh, with the Phillies, Damiano Palmegiani with the Blue Jays, Graham Polley who you mentioned with the Padres, Caliber Rosario with the Twins, uh, David McCabe with the uh, with Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on those guys who are just kind of you know pretty solid, um, but you know a lot of those guys, especially like Rincones, Palmegiani. Uh, Dicenzo, just given their age, given their uh, defensive utility, you'd expect them to, to be really solid in the AFL. Um, any of those guys uh, do anything worth, worth talking about?
2: Eric Brown looks like he is fully developing into power, and he is making a concerted effort to hit for more power. Uh, he's been on a thing. I actually talked about him with... Uh, Victor Scott apparently their best friends and uh, I've been impressed with how Eric Brown is changing his game and I think I really do think he can be he can be a not nothing burger in the power department not just stolen bases I think um, you're starting to see that Gabriel Rincon is very impressive physically impressive he's dominating out here like you said Balmigiani um he just missed winning the home run derby. We call him Cheese. That's his nickname. Uh, an announcer out here called him Damiano Parmesan, and in the entire dugout screamed Cheese. So I told everybody that at first pitch, and we were in the outfield screaming Cheese. Uh, not that that helps for your fantasy, but you know, nicknames might give him a little bit of a boost. Uh, Graham Pauly, big power. David McCabe is an up-the-field center uh, singles hitter all day long. Probably not anything there. I'm less excited about Paulie, even though I think the power numbers um, are absurd. We'd love to see him in the home run Derby, but I don't know. I think like Eric Brown was the one that I'm coming away with. Like, man, with his stolen base numbers, I want to bet on him right now. If he develops double digit power, which he is aggressively uh, really, really working on his bat here. That's his thing. That's the guy that I kind of want to make a bet on. So did any, uh, you know, there's a, there's do-
1: literally dozens of guys playing the AFL who I would sort of describe as non prospects or at best fringe prospects. Like Jags, um, just a guy, <laughs> just a guy. A lot of a lot of guys in the AFL uh, these days. Um, did any of the any of the Jags really stand out to you as guys? Uh, where you can kind of look past their age or lack of pedigree and kind of see something there. Because we, we do see it every year. I mean, we we, we do see Jags turn into, <laughs> um, you know, modest big leaguers. Is uh,
2: this career. the fringe question where I can yes. talk about the one? Okay, okay. So one of them, just real quick, Oliver Dunn is like 26 years old, um, who you too can old. easily write off. He's way too old. I will say he has looked very impressive out here. He, as he should he has not been caught once he has 12 stolen bases hit 340 he's shown off some power kind of a bulky middle infield guy but he's too old. My favorite of all of them is Caleb Durbin and I mistakenly called him Chad in an interview which I don't know why I kept doing it I feel like there's a there's an athlete out there named Chad Durbin and I just keep forgetting it but Caleb Durbin the problem is he's five foot six. Every player there is, that's there
1: is a there's a Chad Durbin that played in the big leagues. Who's yeah,
2: that's who like I must be in my brain, 46, 46 years old now. He like a reliever. Yep, yeah, that's what's Chad, in my brain. Chad Durbin. Okay, so sorry, Chad. Uh, and Caleb, every player sub five foot eight gets the Altuve comp, but I will tell you, of all the players I've seen, he's a stockier five foot six, he's hyper aggressive. He is always barreling the ball. I mean, doubles, barrel. Um, He is about ready, or he's attempting to break the stolen base record in the AFL, which is 24, and he's been confirmed. He stole three bases last night. He's going to get to start the next two games. Um, He has shown off power. He has 11 extra base hits here, double the walks and strikeouts. He's hitting 350. He's going to break, most likely, the stolen base record. And though he is small, plays good defensively, crazy aggressive base stealer. I think he's still like 50 uh, on the season. Maybe it was 30, and now it's over 50. But just the way his bat rolls, I would not be shocked if Caleb Durbin becomes a thing. Will he become Altuve? Not saying that. Altuve can hit 30 homers. But like the way Caleb Durbin approaches the game, the way that bat is live, there's a lot of guys that have, uh, I mean, Abimelech Ortiz has four extra base hits in the AFL, one double and four um, and three homers. Caleb Durman has 11 extra base hits. There's doubles power in there that could turn to real power. He is a great eye for the ball. He does not get beat. It's kind of like Triantos, and he is now hitting three in Mesa. He is hitting behind Alcantara and James Triantos. I just think on the fringe prospect world, Caleb Durbin is someone I kind of met, want to mess around with. He was drafted two years ago by the Braves, and he's now in the Yankee system. That would be the guy of the fringe I would pay the most attention to.
1: All right. He's uh, he's young enough that we will count it. He's 23. Um, okay. yeah. so 24. We'll, we're not doing we'll it. So. Him. Uh, yeah. So nobody, nobody had a worse showing than... Uh, Brainerd Bonacy of the Red Sox, who got sent home um, for uh, disciplinary reasons and will be Brainerd rocketing down
2: my prospect rankings. Yeah. Um, probably just going to remove him from my prospect. I rankings. would just remove Based on the stuff out there, I think he's safe to remove from lists. Yes. Yeah.
1: Which is a bummer because I bonusy was one of my favorite kind of – not a sleeper, but uh, – One of my favorite uh, non-obvious, like top 150 guys, who was who's out there.
2: I actually did Uh, see him in one game before he was sent home, too. So, but that's not going to matter. So, we'll be moving
1: on from uh, the days of bonusy, but uh, really rough showing for Kevin Parada, uh, Mets catcher, and uh, not a household name by any means. But Justice Bigby, I thought, had a terrible showing, just given that he. You know, he was one of these guys. um, We're seeing more of them every year, it seems. But just dominant, dominant numbers—just numbers so crazy that you sort of had to take notice, um, even despite his age and lack of pedigree. Uh, But for guys like that, he's he's 24. Um, You know, same thing kind of be said about Kevin Parada. Like, you go to the AFL coming off a season like that, it's almost sort of like the prove it test, like are you a real prospect? Um, and Justice Bigby really kind of fell flat out out there. And then Kevin Parada, you know, I think the days of him kind of getting by on his pedigree uh, might be kind of winding down because he
2: did not have an impressive
1: regular season and had an even worse AFL.
2: Yeah, I think the Parada thing is uh, echoed through the fantasy prospect halls, um, I've been saying the same thing. I, I was talking at first pitch about just where's the Georgia Tech version of this guy. This guy was it, the safe tool, was the hit tool. I mean, he was a three twenty plus hitter. The power was there. He looks nothing of the part. Um, when he does get to a mistake, he can do stuff with it. I I, I got a homer, uh, an insane homer, he hit against Jackson Job which got one of the most viral uh, of any of my tweets because it's like New York and they're taking it. But that was it. That's all he did, the whole AFL. He looked defeated. He looked slow. The strikeouts were insane. Um, I have an interview coming up uh, on Prospect One that with multiple people. And um, yeah, I, he gets kind of lit up as a non-prospect, like shouldn't even be on lists at this point. Maybe the AFL wasn't... Su- Maybe the AFL numbers are going to be overinflated, but here's the one thing is he's not a catcher. And that's the main problem here. He got he had at least two times nine plus stolen bases against him per game, plus, which is crazy. And the conversation is okay, if he's not a catcher and he has to go to the corner, the bat isn't good enough. And that's where you sit into this mysterious land of um of being a non prospect. And I'm out. I'm I'm pretty firmly out. And I was as in as anybody, maybe more than anybody. Just defender. Those co- the, the the college version of him is not there, and you're 100 right. Um, it's bad. Uh, 29 strikeouts to four walks out here. 29 strikeouts in 70 at bats. 70. That's a big number for a catcher out here. Plus, you literally can steal. Uh, you, James, you could probably. I probably couldn't, but you could probably steal on him. So yeah, it's bad. It, I I would say arguably he had the worst because Brainer just was gone it's, he is the absolute worst. And I also say like Robert Hassel, Robert Hassel did himself no favors. He just, mm-hmm. he looks slow again. Uh, I want to like him. His teammates talk very highly of him, but the body looks the same as it did years ago in complex. Uh, he's making slower decisions. It looks stiffer. It just doesn't look the part of a major leaguer. And it's like, how much longer can this go? He needs a dramatic change and it didn't show off in the AFL. So like I think performance-wise he played a little bit better, but I felt like, oh, I'm just confirmed there is nothing there. There's nothing there to speculate on with Robert Hassel anymore.
1: Well, Welsh, I could talk uh, prospects with you all day. Even even these AFL prospects, uh, the ones – on this this year's roster, I could talk about them all day.
2: Um, I could too, man. As you can tell, I don't shut the <laughs> hell up. I just keep going about them. I'm I'm actually I'm gonna go see some as soon as we get off. I'll be cruising out and seeing uh, the last. We're in the last two days of the AFL before the playoffs, and I'm gonna go see Peoria. I think today, last little looks at some of these uh, the Mansardos and the delauders and stuff. <laughs> and I will tell you, I just one last little thing. I asked, the, I'm not gonna tell you the player. But I told the player last night, I was like, how ready are you to get out of here? And he looked at me and he was like, I want to go home. And I said, but you are vying to potentially play in the playoffs. And he gave me this look and I said, have you ever not wanted to make the playoffs more than you do here? And he just and he looked at me and he was like, yeah, I've never rooted for losing until now and then he walked away and uh, that's kind of the feeling out here so you can't take much from now but maybe i can share some more videos some cool performances and yeah talk with you anytime my friend i appreciate you letting me uh pontificate on uh, all the afl stuff
1: well why don't you uh if people are as sick as us and want to hear about guys like Davis Daniel on multiple podcasts. Why don't you let people know where they can uh, follow along with what you're doing?
2: Yeah, you sickos out there. Uh, prospect One, I've got, uh, it's called the Players Edition of the Arizona Fall League. um It's just an episode I'm dropping. I have five interviews on there Manzardo, Triantos, uh, Carson Williams, Victor Scott, and Reggie Crawford. I'll talk to. Um, also, you can hear me on some other podcasts. The, Kyle Manzardo was part of Rates and Barrels. James Shiantos was a part of CBS, uh, fantasy baseball today. Uh, you can hear me sometimes on those, but prospect one, that's my show. I've got the player's edition and the analyst edition coming up next week. If you guys want to check those out, so go subscribe to the pod and really just follow me on Twitter at, is it the Welsh? the best way to follow. I got a lot of stuff going on. So if you're into checking them out, uh, my Twitter will kind of tell you where to go.
1: Awesome stuff, man. Um, This is going to do it for us for today. I will tell people I've been getting more involved on the Rotowire Discord channel. Um, So if you want to just ask me anything on there, feel free to do that. Um, But I will have another episode for you next week. Thanks to Chris Welsh for joining me this week. And I'll talk to you all later.